This is the word of the Lord as found in Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, whoops, Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced nor be, but be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner... Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks uh, for that, Peter. Well, hi, friends. Um, welcome to Philemon Part 2. For those of you who were here last week, uh, we're going to um, basically pick up where we left off. And I'd like to start today, actually, in a similar way um, 
to last week. So if you were here, this, if you were here last week, this might be a bit of deja vu. Uh, I want to start by asking some questions. Um, but they're questions not so much about you and me, as I asked last week, but about us. Uh, who are we? Um, what are we doing here? Uh, what is the church? Um, how would you define the church? Um, maybe you can think of some ways that um, church is defined, maybe understood by society. Um, so we have an idea of what church is, and society does too. And there's many ideas, isn't there? But what is the church really? Uh, is it a building? Uh, is it an institution uh, or an organisation? Is it something that some weird people do on Sundays? It may be. Uh, or go to? Is it an event, perhaps? Or is it just a group of people that gather around a similar interest? Uh, is it the moral voice of society? You know, the moral police? Uh, maybe people who live by certain rules uh, and moral principles? Uh, maybe people that often think that they're better than everyone else. So the question is, what on earth is the church? How do we define the church? And it, it may seem an odd question uh, to begin a sermon uh, on the second half of Philemon, um, which after all is a rather private, personal uh, type of letter. It concerns a household matter, as you might have picked up. But as we noted last week and heard read again just now, a, this seemingly private letter has a surprising addition to the list of recipients. So along with Philemon and a couple of names who are likely his wife and son, Paul addressed the letter to the entire church. It somehow concerned the whole church and it was probably read out in the church gathering. Uh, the fact that the letter has survived at all through uh, the ages is a miracle. Uh, many other, other letters that we know about didn't. And so here it is in our Bible, part of God's word to us today. So what does it teach us? What does it say to the church today and to us here at Trinity South Coast? Is it just an interesting story? It certainly is that. An insight into history? Or is it mainly an example uh, to learn and imitate Paul uh, in his handling, his wonderful handling of a di difficult situation. Um, that's part of it, surely. Well, it is our second sermon in Philemon, and hopefully we together have already learnt uh, some truths from it, those who were here last week. I certainly have. Um, and last week we looked at the just the first seven verses, and we were introduced to this man, Philemon, and we considered his connection with a diverse group of people, those mentioned in the first couple of verses. People who were vastly different in race and gender and social status. And we saw that what connected them was that each had come to hear and believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we called it the message of grace and peace from God. And because of this, God was now their father and other believers were their brothers and sisters and fellow workers in the kingdom of God. That was the language that Paul used of this group. 
They each now had a new identity as members of God's family. Uh, as uh, the kids taught, part of God's family, they, this group, including Philemon, had been, as we termed it, I termed it, they'd been redefined by grace and peace in Christ. And this new identity was beginning to shape their earthly identities. We saw how the same was true for those of us uh, who are trusting in Christ, that we too have been redefined, uh, that this new identity is our truest identity, over and above all others, that we are members together in God's family and share in every good thing for the sake of Christ. And as we look at the second half of the letter today, I think that there is much for us to learn as a church, but about the church. Um, no doubt this letter draws us down and in to focus on the specific and personal issues that it addresses. Um, but at the same time, if we have eyes to see, it also draws us up and out to see a much bigger picture, uh, a glorious and radical picture, a picture of the church. And I, I really believe that if we here at Trinity South Coast can apprehend more of the reality of what God has done by his grace, uh, that it will shape and transform our, all our earthly relationships for his glory. And so I, I think that Paul's letter to Philemon does help us answer the question, what is the church? So if you have a Bible, um, please open with me. Um, it's going to be helpful just to follow along. Uh, before we do that, um, I'll just pray again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Uh, thank you for this little letter, tiny little letter to Philemon, written a couple of uh, millennia ago. Uh, and yet we know it is part of your word. And we know that your word speaks to us here today uh, in, on the south coast, in the Flurio Peninsula. Uh, we pray that you would give us um, eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, change us by your word. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we look at the text, uh, there's just one more thing we need to do um, before we get to it specifically, and that is to briefly summarise the fascinating story which lies behind the letter. Uh, we need to know that as we, as we move on. Philemon was a Colossian believer, and he'd been saved um, years before by the Apostle Paul, and they'd become friends. And he was a wealthy man and a slave owner. And one of his slaves, if he had multiple... He, probably did. One slave, Onesimus, had stolen from him and run away uh, all the way to Rome where Paul was imprisoned. And somehow Onesimus came in contact with the Apostle Paul and he became a Christian. And he too became a close friend of Paul, very close actually as we'll see today. Uh, Paul had written this letter to Colossians that Duncan mentioned uh, to send to uh, Colossae and he also knew he had to send Onesimus back to his master in Colossae. So he wrote a second letter uh, to appeal for his friend Philemon and, uh, and he sent Onesimus, uh, Onesimus along with his faithful postie Tychicus with both letters uh, back to Colossae a thousand miles away. Fair trip. So it's, it's a great story. It's a fascinating story, really. Uh, and this letter draws us into the middle of it, right in the thick of it into a tense and rather difficult situation. Uh, 
uh, perhaps more serious than we realise. I mean, it's the Roman Empire after all, and part of its core social structure is the institution of slavery. So legally, Philemon has every right to discipline his rebellious, thieving, runaway slave as harshly as he likes, uh, if and when he comes back. He can even kill him. Uh, the authorities won't blink an eye. Philemon has been legally wronged. But there's also a personal and relational tension. Um, Onesimus has broken his master's trust, stolen something and run away. So Philemon has also been wronged personally. The situation cries out for reconciliation at more than one level. But there's hope, of course. There's real hope. Uh, That's why Paul wrote this letter. Paul has great hope. And there's hope because of the gospel. God is at work in this difficult situation. So we come to the passage today. We finally get there um, from verse 8. And we see that um, Paul makes an appeal. He begins an appeal. It's a turning point in the letter. You'll see there in verse 9, uh, and again in verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, Philemon. Paul wants Philemon to do something. And verse 8 tells us that it's something he ought to do, you'll see there. There's an obligation, a duty uh, for Philemon to carry out. And whatever it is, it's very important for Paul. That's the reason why he's writing the letter. We also see here in these verses that Paul's appeal has a chosen basis and that he seems to have two options. He says in verse 8, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. We noted last week that Paul usually begins his letters with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, And as an apostle, he could absolutely use his authority as the basis for this appeal. But he began this letter, as we noted last week, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And it's a point that he repeats again here in verse 9, you'll see there, to which he adds an old man. So this appeal will not be made on the basis of his authority and orders. No, Paul prefers to appeal on the basis of love. You'll see there in verse 9. So what love is he talking about? Uh, No doubt includes Christian love in general, but I think he's being more specific. And the first word in verse 8 helps us enormously. The word therefore that begins verse 8, and it begins the entire section, this section of Paul's appeal. And if we're going to understand this letter at all, We need to ask, what is the therefore there for? It's there to tell Philemon and us that what Paul is going to say is based on what he's already said in the previous verses. And we don't have a lot of time to look at it again in detail today. We did that last week. But if we don't have clearly in our minds what he's just said in the previous verses, we'll completely miss the heart of this letter and the basis for everything that he will go on to say. It's that important. And what we saw last week in verses 4 to 7 briefly is that Philemon was known for his love. Um, His love for all God's holy people, that is all believers. And Paul thanked God for it in verses 4 and 5. This love was evidence, it was fruit of Philemon's 
partnership in the faith, Paul said in verse 6. He'd come to understand something of his new identity uh, as a Christian. And so Paul prayed in verse 6 that Philemon would grow, that he would grow in understanding of the riches of the gospel that he shared with other believers. And in verse 7, Paul himself, he was joyfully encouraged by Philemon's love. And so the appeal he's now going to make is on that basis. It's on the basis of Philemon's love for all other believers, all other believers, for all who share the same new identity in Christ. And of course, that all now includes one more, one Onesimus. So Paul appeals on the basis of love, Christian love, Philemon's love. I think there's something um, for us to learn from Paul's chosen basis. True reconciliation, that's really what we're talking about, can never be affected on the basis of a command. Racial and social divisions can never be truly reconciled by commands, laws and legislation. Only the gospel has the power to bring about true reconciliation and lasting peace. Only the love of God working in and through his people. And God's family, the church, is a reconciled family. No wonder Paul prefers to appeal on the basis of love. Of course he does. So what exactly is Paul's appeal for? Philemon's about to find that out as it's being read out. He's appealing, verse 10, for Onesimus. And he's sending him back, he says in verse 12. So Philemon hears for the first time here what this letter's all about. It's about the return of his rotten, thieving, runaway slave. But he also hears that Onesimus has become a Christian. And Paul calls him his son, which is a fascinating thing. In verse 10, you'll see there, uh, probably well, because he's led him to Christ uh, while in chains. So the elderly Paul, the old man Paul, sees himself as a, a spiritual father to Onesimus. If that wasn't enough of a shock, Paul clearly has a very strong affection for Onesimus. He considers him his son, but then he even calls him there, you'll see there, my very heart. Now that's a strong term of affection, don't you think? And we mustn't let the gravity of this friendship pass us by. The Jewish apostle, Jewish apostle and a Gentile slave, now brothers in Christ, the major racial divide of that day overcome by the power of the gospel. That's, that's no small thing. That's amazing. Now, by way of interest, Paul is writing of this affection for Onesimus to a man, Philemon, whose name means affectionate. It's just It's interesting. Um, as you know, names, most names, have meanings. Meredith. Where's Meredith? Guardian of the sea. Uh, Peter. Rock. Margaret. Pearl. Duncan. Brown warrior. <laughs> you need some more sun, mate. Yeah. yeah. Martin. Warrior of Mars. Mm. 
Well, these days we don't take the meanings of names too seriously and probably just as well. But in the Bible, names are very significant. Abraham, father of a multitude. Jesus, from Hebrew Yeshua, the Lord saves. Well, Onesimus' name means something too. And Paul intentionally draws attention, attention to it here in verse 11. You see, Onesimus means useful. Not surprisingly, it was a popular name given to slaves. What master wouldn't want a useful slave? But Onesimus had formerly, Paul says, been a useless slave. He was useless. But now, he says formally, you've got to keep the formally, but now, since the gospel came to him, he is useful to Paul and Philemon. He's now living up to his name. And Paul and he's helping Paul in the place of Philemon, uh, probably in gospel ministry, uh, who knows what, but he's, he's being a help, a helper to Paul while he's in chains for the gospel, as he says there. So it's no wonder then, given Paul's strong affection for his dear friend and helper, that he would like to keep him around in Rome. As he says in verse 13, you'll see it there. He'd like to keep him. But, but that's not an option for Paul. He is sending him back along with the letter. So Paul's own desire to keep Onesimus is overshadowed by a greater desire to see gospel reconciliation in the family of God. Because Paul knows that God's family, the church, is a reconciled family. So what Paul would like to keep Onesimus is submitted to what he really wants, as he says there, a gospel response. He wants reconciliation. Uh, I do not want, he, he goes on to say. So just as Paul had two options for the basis of his appeal, there seems to be here in verse 14 two options for Philemon's response. Verse 14, But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. And Jane did a great kids' talk on that with kids tidying up their rooms. If Paul chose to order Philemon to do what he ought, or if he kept Onesimus with him in Rome, Philemon's response would be forced. That is not a gospel response. That's not what Paul wants. His appeal on the basis of gospel love is to bring about a voluntary favour. The gospel changes the heart. It changes the will. Grace changes duty into choice. Obligation is met by desire. The fruit of the gospel, Christian love, is always a voluntary favour. And it grows as a result of what Paul prayed for Philemon back in verse 6 a deepening understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ, a growing apprehension of the glorious riches of the gospel, of Christ and of who we are together in him. Is that our desire for this church? I wonder. It was certainly Paul's desire in this situation and it's God's desire for all of his church. Well, at this point, Philemon still doesn't know exactly what Paul wants from him. He hasn't asked him anything yet. 
But in the next two verses, Paul begins to get to the heart of the matter. In verse 15, Paul cautiously speculates, it seems, on God's sovereign purposes in all of this. Um, have a look there. Maybe Philemon and Onesimus, he thinks, were separated for a little while so that Philemon might have him back forever. Perhaps this short separation, which led to Onesimus being brought into God's family, was to bring about true reconciliation. Reconciliation forever. No longer as a slave, verse 16, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Paul knows that gospel reconciliation is eternal. It's forever. God's family, the church, is a reconciled family forever. Onesimus now shares in God's family with Philemon. They are brothers equally forever. So for Philemon to take Onesimus back merely as a slave would be to deny their new relationship. It would be to deny the truth of the gospel. In Christ, the master and the slave are equally united as brothers already. They are already reconciled in Christ. That is the reality. But Philemon must apprehend that reality by faith and live it out. He needs a deepening understanding of every good thing he now shares with Onesimus in Christ. Again, from verse 6, it's a very important verse in this whole letter. So whether, Paul, um, whether Philemon keeps Onesimus as a slave or releases him is not the main point of the letter, as much as we might want it to be. The main point is that even if they continued as master and slave, these earthly identities were to be overshadowed by their new reconciled relationship as dear brothers in the Lord, Paul says there. So that's what Paul is, is getting at in verse 16, and it prepares Philemon for Paul's actual request in verse 17. We finally get to a, a request specifically. Have a look with me. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner... Welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul and Philemon, they'd been brothers in Christ and dear friends for some time, some years. They were partners in ministry and in the faith, and as Paul had affirmed in verse 6, um, the partnership. And of course, Philemon would love to welcome Paul for a visit. Uh, he's apparently been praying for that, as uh, we learn in verse 22. But Paul has sent his very heart, his son, Onesimus. And since all three are equally united in Christ, reconciled as brothers in God's family, Philemon can welcome Onesimus as if he were Paul. Based on their new identity, there's no reason why not. This is a powerful, I think, testimony to Paul's own deep understanding of gospel reconciliation, of what God has done and is doing in the world through his gospel. And so Paul, it seems, is caught up in it. He's so shaped by this that nothing will prevent him from seeing it work out in the lives of other believers. Um, he'll give up his very own heart to see it happen. 
and he'll take care of any other obstacles if he can. One potential obstacle preventing these two friends living out their reconciled relationship is debt. Onesimus, it seems, stole something from Philemon before he fled. And Paul is not going to let that get in the way. So he tells Philemon that he will bear any debt himself. Charge it to me, he says in verse 18. And then... He takes the pen from his scribe, who's writing the letter, takes it in his own hand, and he writes a pledge with his own hand. Verse 19, I will pay it back. Now, it's unlikely that the very wealthy, very wealthy Philemon would even think of making his imprisoned friend um, pay back anything. After all, it was Paul who'd led him to Christ those years ago, And Paul seems to remind him of this in a not-so-subtle way, to be honest, to our ears at least. Verse 19, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Bit of subtle pressure. But the offer and the pledge is there. No outstanding debt that Onesimus might owe is to be raised with him. His debt is paid You might have thought there's a not-so-subtle echo of the gospel here in Paul's actions. Of the one who interceded on behalf of a world full of runaway slaves who had wronged their master. Who, to bring about reconciliation, said to the master, charge what they owe to me. Who pledged with his own nail-pierced hands, I will repay it. And who did just that by his blood on the cross of Calvary so that rebel slaves could become sons and daughters in God's family, reconciled to him and to each other. Debt is paid, it is paid in full, as that song we sang before wonderfully reminded us. So God's family, Christ's church, is a reconciled family. So Paul's actions here, what he's doing here, they're no doubt shaped by the gospel, by what Jesus did for him. And he's confident that the gospel will shape Philemon's actions even in this serious case. Philemon will be reconciled with Onesimus because they are already reconciled in Christ through his shed blood for them. So Paul's closing words express his own deep desire to see this reconciliation worked out. Philemon had refreshed the hearts of so many of the Lord's people. And we learnt that back in verse 7. And for Paul, seeing this relationship uh, restored will refresh his own heart. He says there in verse 20, you'll see it. It will refresh my heart. It will be of some benefit to Paul. And it seems that he does plan on seeing how this all pans out. Uh, he plans to come for a visit. He hopes for it in verse 22, down in verse 22. And we see in verse 21 Paul's confidence in all of this, that even as he's writing, he's penning this letter, he is confident, he says there, verse 21, confident not only that Philemon will voluntarily do what Paul has asked on the basis of love, 
but that he'll do even more than he asks, it says there. Paul knows the incredible reconciling power of the gospel. He's seen it in his own life. He's seen it everywhere the gospel spread. Uh, He certainly has an ever-deepening understanding of the reconciling power of grace. And so he closes after some final personal um, greetings with a word of grace. Verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's important for us um, to know that the word here, right at the end, that your, your spirit, is a plural. Uh, It doesn't show up in our English translations, but it is there in the original. Paul directs these final words to the whole Colossian church. This personal letter for Philemon is also a letter for them. Uh, It teaches them and us the power of the gospel to reconcile the otherwise irreconcilable. It teaches them and us something wonderful about the church. That the church is not just a collection of redefined individuals. The church is a reconciled family. The church is not just a group of people with a similar interest. It's not an institution or an organisation. It's certainly not a building. The church is the one people of God united in Christ. It is the family of God, his eternal reconciled family. And it is already a reality. It's something God has done by his grace. It's not an ideal for us to try and create. We are to apprehend what is already true by faith. We're to live out who we already are in Christ. That's the way the gospel works. We are a reconciled family. We do this for Christ's sake, for his glory and honour. As the church lives out uh, this reality, it demonstrates his lordship. The heavenly kingdom of God shows itself here on earth. A powerful testimony to the world. A beacon of light that shines in the darkness that surrounds us, all around us. The, The broken world around us craves peace and reconciliation, doesn't it? It screams for it. It desperately seeks lasting peace and genuine reconciliation. But the only hope for this world is the gospel. The news about the crucified and risen Lord, Jesus Christ. The news about what God has done in Christ to reconcile all things. And as believers, as the church, we are God's agents of reconciliation to the community and to the world around us. Paul says elsewhere in Corinthians, we are ministers of reconciliation. And the gospel is the message of reconciliation. And so we, we here at Trinity South Coast, we want lots of Onesimuses to hear this message and to be reconciled in God's family forever. That's what God's put us here for as Trinity South Coast. I think we learn a lot about the church. The church is so much more 
than what we think. Let me pray. Father God, we uh, do thank you for uh, your wonderful grace. We thank you for your church, your reconciled family. Lord, we pray that you'd give us a bigger picture, a bigger view of all that you've done in Christ. A vast and wonderful uh, work that you are accomplishing, even now as your gospel is proclaimed, as the news about what you've already done is told, proclaimed. And we pray that you would use us here, Trinity South Coast, your church in this location, um, to make the gospel known that many, many runaway Onesimuses, just like us, would come to hear the gospel and be reconciled forever in your eternal family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.